Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, and review, and hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored, as always, by Greening Law. A personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas, Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, Doc? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren. And this, my friends, is Jam Session, the podcast version 250, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. Oh, we've got a lot. Got a little Micah Parsons conversation for you here. Got to talk a little Rangers, friendships, a taco place that's about to explode all over the place. There's a lot to get into. But before we do all that on the podcast, let's tell you about Robert Greening, the green team over there at Greening Law. And I got to tell you guys this because I think everybody is aware now. We're coming up 11 months ago when I had my car accident. And my back is... We're trying to figure out, is it just going to be this way for forever, where it'll probably bother me here and there? Like, if I stand up too long or I sit down too long, it, it really gets uncomfortable. And I had a conversation because they took my case a year ago, whatever it was, and they've been working with me and all that. And it's crazy because I was talking to one of the guys on the green team. And he said, well, how are you feeling? You know, where? And Because I, I was like, well, where are we at? Like, how do we move forward in this? And they go, look, the most important thing is, do you still have pain? And I was like, well, yeah, but I'm always probably going to have pain. And they go, well, then let's find out. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's, let's find some places that you can go to and see, like, is there anything that we can do before? And, and I just, some of the little things that they do like that, you can tell as they build this thing and they're patient and they make these calls for you. And hell, he even sent me one. He goes, well, what about this place? And I'll, I'll flat out be honest with you guys. I told him, I said, that is in one of the worst areas of Birmingham. I do not want to drive over there. And he goes, oh, okay, he goes, cool. Well, uh, let me keep working on it for you, and I'll find a couple of other places that are a little bit more convenient and, and aren't on that part of the town. And I was like, awesome. I mean, it, it, it's they really, truly are doing all the work for you on the other side, which is really awesome. Well, I mean, the whole point is that they grind for you, and that's why you should uh, do like I told my nephew, who had a piece of metal fall from a store roof on him last week and what? cut his hand. Dude, it was amazing because he had a bandage. I was like, what is that? He said, oh, I was walking uh, out of the store and a piece of metal fell off the roof and slashed my hand. And I had to go get stitches and it's still open. And, uh, oh, yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, man. Oh, my I, I God. Go, Have you contacted an attorney? He goes, no. I said, oh, here's what you do. So I texted him the number and said, hey, call uh, Robert Greening and the Green Team, 972, you know. 972-934-8900. <laughs> When I gave it to him last night, it rattled right off my tongue. (laughs) (laughs) 
but uh, but anyway, I sent him a text, told him to call. I said, just tell him your case, man, and uh, and see if there's if there's a case there because that's a bad deal that happened to you. Yeah, exactly. And it, it, it's a variety of different things. As you're talking about being hurt on the premises of a business, car accidents like I was involved in that was not even 1% my fault, things like that, they will go to fight for you, man. They are your fierce legal competitor against the insurance companies. The consultation is absolutely free. 972-934-8900. 972-934-8900. Robert Greening. Call him now. Offices, Dallas, Texas. Micah Parsons and these Dallas Cowboys. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because you put it this way, like, man, Micah Parsons is getting a lot of ink lately because you got a story up about him. I know you were saying Calvin Watkins has a story that's in the paper about him as well. And I think there's a lot of that excitement with Micah Parsons for a guy that a lot of people look at in what he did last year, not only being the NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year, but in contention for Defensive Player of the Year as a rookie, and now we wonder, okay, well, if you can do that as a rookie, how high can the ceiling be for Micah Parsons? Oh, I think people, you know, that comes up because Mike, uh, Mike McCarthy actually had a, what I thought was a pretty good example of how he views players. And he said that, uh, nah, you know, I'll take just a smidgen of, of uh, what do you call it? Uh, I won't agree with the, with the first. He's like, everybody in the league is a really good player. Well, I mean, it's kind of relative, right? Uh, to to a high school, to all the people that play football, yes, everybody in the NFL is elite. But let's be real. But anyway, he said everybody's a really good football player. He said then there are good players who can have great moments. I said okay. Then there are players who play at a consistently high level that makes them, you know, you know, that makes them starters and all right. of that. He goes, and then there are elite players. They bring everybody with them. It's not just about them. They make everybody around them better. And he said, that's what we're hoping Micah can do this year. And that, uh, that made sense to me last year. Like Last year, he was consistently good player who had great moments. Uh, and now, if you want to be a superstar, and he's, he, you know, he, to me, he's got everything that you want to be that then it's just about being more consistent uh, and taking your, your skills, you know, advancing them to the next level, which is all about consistency. You know, instead of doing the 8 out of 10 plays, you do it 9 out of 10 or 9 yeah. and a half out of 10. And I think that's where we are now. But the best thing to me is, man, he kind of gets all of that. Yeah, which he seems to have the right attitude for it. And barring injury, which, of course, you never know. You can't count on anything of that nature. But – Assuming that he can stay healthy, there's really no reason to believe that anything would change, that, that he would continue to grow and continue to be, you know, and you kind of wonder about it because you, Leighton Van Der Esch obviously had a great rookie season, not the rookie season that Micah had, but a really good rookie season. We were all high and positive on him and we've kind of seen what he's become, but Micah feels like he's different. And, and you kind of wonder, do the Cowboys have like, you know, that, that next type of DeMarcus Ware level player who can continue to grow and grow into a perennial all pro and become even better as his career goes by. I think that's why this is such an intriguing season because um, I went and looked it up of the 10 of the rookies who have the 10 most sacks ever. Obviously it's Javon Curse with 14 and a half had owns a rookie record. Alden Smith, former cowboy for a moment had 14. That was second of those 10 players. Only two dudes have eclipsed their rookie total. 
in year two. That would be Alden Smith, who went from uh, 14 to 19 and a half. Oh, my God. Damn. <laughs> and then Reggie White, obviously a Hall of Famer, who went from 13 to 18. But the list is full of guys who are really great players, like Leslie O'Neill, uh, even Charles Haley, who went from 12 sacks as a rookie to six as, as the second year. And then, of course, you know, bounced back his third, fourth, fifth year and became, you know, this great player. Yeah. Uh, so the odds of him doing it are not great. But what I like about him is he said he spent the offseason looking at techniques of other good pass rushers, um, you know, to see what he can steal from them. And uh, the thing I like most about him, man, he seems to be a listener. Uh, doesn't feel like he knows everything, you know, because he was saying Lyle Collins said the way you become a great player is you have to make the tackle. You have to threaten the tackle. You have to make the tackle so fearful of some aspect of your game that they're always wary of it. He goes, because when you do that, whether it's your speed, whether it's your power, whatever it is, once you have them fearful now they're always protecting themselves so then all your counter moves work off of their fear he said but you have to make them fear something otherwise you know they'll you know they'll just play you straight and and then it's hard to dominate and so the fact that he kind of picked that up from lyle and kept it with him and he's been working toward it to alter his game and change his game even after the phenomenal year that he had says to me that yeah he's ready yeah, and you also hope that maybe Demarcus Lawrence can take a step ahead from where he was a couple of years ago and, and brings that kind of presence and eats up some double teams. You can't double team everybody, obviously. So it'll be curious to see how they kind of use Micah this year. They moved him around so much last year. His versatility is obviously there. I think some of the other pieces on the defense can help with that and, and helping him to have some opportunities to do kind of repeat what he did last year and, and Tank's a big part of that. You know, Calvin Watkins has that article up, and, and it's a lot of stuff about him working directly with DeMarcus Ware and talking with DeMarcus Ware and DeMarcus Ware helping him and, and showing him some things with film and also some of the things that you're talking about. Just kind of that hunger, watching everybody a little bit, and he almost seems to have, like, the right balance of swagger and confidence, but, yes, with, with also the understanding of what he needs to do to be great. No, and that's, that's why I think you can uh, fall in love with him as a player. Because he seems to have all of that, man. He, has, he seems to have a desire to be great. Uh, and then he has a desire to work at the things that will un enable him to be great. And not every player has that. There are a lot of folks who have the desire to do something, but don't have the work ethic to pull it off. Um, you know, because they can't consistently, you know, work or grind at, at a high enough level to become great. And so, you know, man, he understands that and I think a lot of the reasons why these guys have struggled in year two is, okay, no matter how great Michael Parsons was last year, you know, he's still, he got double teamed and stuff last year. Um, and he, he became this player that, that teams looked out for, uh, you know, knew they had to prepare for. Okay, we get all of that. And so you say, well, what's different this year? They're going to do the same thing. No, what's different is they have spent the entire, especially the teams in the division. They have spent the entire offseason going, okay, when we play the Cowboys, how the hell are we handling Michael Parsons? What are we doing when we play the Cowboys to deal with Michael Parsons? Because if we can't deal with him, we can't win. And so now the blocking schemes will change. The, he will be, you know, um, enemy, what do you call it, man? Enemy number uh, one? 
That seemed dumb. It does. So it doesn't seem like the phrase, but that's it, it kind of what you're talking it, about, though. Yeah, yeah. Basically, <laughs> he's on the most wanted list. He's right, at the yeah. top of the FBI's most wanted list, and they have spent the entire offseason figuring out how to slow him down and combat him. Last week, I mean, last year they didn't have time to do it because you know it's in the middle of the season. I don't have time to study every snap and do this or that with the same intensity because I got to prepare for this game. Right. Now they got the whole offseason, and so he'll be getting different looks and stuff, and so he realizes it's going to be challenging, and it's going to be different, and that's why he's you know putting his work in in the offseason to become a better pass rusher in every aspect. Yeah, and he's one of those guys like you talked about where, to me, there's two types of people. There, there's people who talk about doing things, and they always say, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and they, and they talk a lot, and they throw a lot out there, they never actually do it. And then there's people who do things that other people talk about because they just set about and they go out and do it and accomplish it. And the other people go, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that, that type of stuff. He seems to be the type of guy who understands what it's going to take. Everything that you're describing, your conversation, talking about him and all that, that he's that type of guy that's just going to set his mind to it and go out and do it. Yeah, you know what's interesting about what you just said? And I was literally thinking about it as you said it. Um, you know, I know I've talked to Matt about it. Maybe I've talked down here about how my son is taking this dramatic turn into this entrepreneurial thing, and he's all into being a businessman and entrepreneurship. And so I asked him at lunch a couple of weeks ago, like, where did, you know, how did this all start? And I was really amazed by the answer because he said exactly what you said, Matt. And I was shocked. He said, well, you know, a lot of my friends talk about a lot of stuff that they're going to do, but they they just really never get around to doing it. Yeah. He said, and I was looking at him like, okay. And he said, so I literally just decided one day that everything I talked about I was going to do so I wouldn't be like them. That is impressive, <laughs> especially at that age, man. I mean, but, nah. but that's what it is. I mean, there are people, and we all know that, there's so many people in life that will just say, oh, I, I, I could do this or I'll do that or one day this will happen. And then right. one day comes and they go, man, I, I, I never really set about doing anything. And then there's people who just say, this is what I'm going to do in life, and I'm just going to go do it. Right. And, uh, you know, what's interesting is that is, is I, I, I go back and forth with people all the time about, and I think we've had some discussions about this, like, uh, and I don't really think there's a right or wrong. It's just my way, and then other people disagree, uh, which is, should you have a plan B on your, you know, whatever mm. you choose to, to follow in life? And my thought was always, no. <laughs> because yeah. a plan B it means my plan A didn't work out and so I was always like I'm 100% in on plan A and failure for me is not an option uh, it doesn't mean it doesn't come without bumps and obstacles and heartache and all that stuff but if the ultimate goal is to be a colonist at a top 10 paper in the country then I'm just going to keep grinding till I get it yeah. And I was fortunate enough to get it, um, you know. And so but to me and, you know, there just weren't a lot of black columns when I started. But failure wasn't an option. And I know for you, I want to be a radio host. So that's that's just what I'm going to do. However, I got to figure out to do it. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And I've always been a believer in that. I'll never forget this because originally, as many of you know that are listening, and you know this, I was a theater major going into college, and I thought I was going to be an actor. That's what I wanted to do in high school. I did it as a freshman and a sophomore in college a lot until I got into radio my sophomore year in college. And I was like, okay, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. 
But I'll never forget because my freshman year of college, our, our professor was a dude. He'd been in some movies and had done a lot of the, like big time theater work and stuff. And he said, I'm going to tell you guys this right now. This is like day two of my college theater career. He said, all of you at some point are going to want to come up to me and ask me, do you think I have what it takes to make it? And if you have to come ask me that, then you don't. <laughs> and I, I'll never forget that because I was like, oh my God, that's exactly right. Because his whole point was the people who believe in themselves, this is just what they have to do. There's no fallback plan. There's no other option. There's no, well, I hope this guy thinks that I can make it because if not, I guess I'll stop. Because if you think that, then you just, you have to get out of it immediately. Right. And if you, if, and especially whether it's acting or writing yeah, or something yeah. that's subjective, singing, then, okay, well, you just didn't get me. So this is right, more of a yeah. you issue than it is a me issue because my talent is there. Uh, you know, while always being open to, you know, constructive criticism. But, you know, I think that's... Um, and so, I mean, the whole point of these conversations is Michael Parsons seems to be that guy. Yeah, he does. Who's, who's locked in and focused. And you can't fake that stuff, man. Um you know, I go back to last year when he said he wasn't playing as well as he wanted to. So let me go in an hour early and see if that shakes things up. And it did. It's a, it's a never-ending quest to figure out how to be the best version of yourself. And when you're committed to that uh, nonstop, then good things almost always happen. Yeah. Did you get a sense in, in talking with people how much they'll be using him at linebacker versus defensive end? Oh, I think it's going to be, you know, he's, um, it's interesting that you say that because he's going to meetings in the offensive meeting room. I mean, in the, uh, and he's going to defensive line and the linebacker meetings. Um, I'm not sure what the rotation is, but he's in both of them. Uh, Mike, Mark, Mike McCarthy said it's to help him make sure he understands the nuance of both positions within and the fit within the entire defense because yeah. it's the nuance of how to attack the scheme, which is ultimately makes you the best player. And McCarthy said he did this with Clay Matthews, who I think went to six Pro Bowls with Green Bay and did some uh, lined up at some defensive end as, as well as linebacker occasionally. Uh, so my point is I think he'll be – I mean, I think it'll be quite a bit in passing situations he'll be a defensive end. But they also want to mix it up for opposing offenses. So I could see it very easily being a field thing, man, where, you know, this team struggles – would struggle against him at yeah. defensive end because their tackles suck. So this week you play more defensive end. This week, uh, you know, the next week it's the guards who are kind of suspect in the center, so play more with the A-gap and uh, really try to abuse those people. So I think it, it could be an in-game feel as well as a week-to-week feel. Yeah, because last year he played like 84% of the snaps, and of those – what was it like a hundred more at linebacker than defensive line, but, but it was fairly close. I mean, it was like almost 500 at linebacker and I think like three sixty or whatever at DE. Yeah. I can see a similar thing. Uh, you know, a lot of it will depend on how good the defense is and yeah. on first and second down when you're stopping the run, um, you know, or whether they'll be more aggressive in attacking on first down and let them loose. So, I mean, a lot of that is up to Dan Quinn. But I think, I mean, I think it'll be a similar split where he's playing a little more linebacker, but it's going to be quite a bit of defensive end. Yeah. So Micah Parsons, man, excited year two as that Cowboys defense. That's the thing is that you have to think there's no way the Cowboys defense can replicate what they did last year and in, in, as far as turnovers go, but who knows? Um, you know, here's the deal. And McCarthy spoke to this, and I found it interesting. I mean, it's not breaking news, but I find it interesting. He was talking about uh, his philosophy 
okay, there's two, there's a couple of different kinds of cornerbacks. You know, guys who who really go fight the ball, and then guys who have great ball skills and go get it. Yeah. And he said, whenever there's a question, whenever there's a tie, he's going with the guy who can go get the ball. Uh, now it sounds rather like basically like well, duh. Well, no, you might want a guy who's a little better coverage and his ball skills aren't quite as good. But he believes, like most coaches, the way you win games is with turnovers. And so if you get guys with good ball skills, yeah. the turnovers will come because they'll catch more than they drop. And he was actually making that statement because somebody had asked a question about Malik Hooker had an interception in practice off a of, off of tip pass. And he was like, that's a great example of a guy with just great instincts and ball skills. The ball always finds him. Well, if you have a secondary full of people where the ball always finds them, then guess what's going to happen? The ball's going to find him. He's going to get more turnovers. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, you know, dude, that's, that's why I was like, and it always depends on your philosophy. When we were talking about uh, your boy Byron Jones, Byron Jones is a perfectly good cornerback. Right. But not if you want him to intercept passes and create turnovers. Uh, he's just not. I think he had two interceptions in five years in Dallas or something like that. Uh, that's just not what he did. He didn't really do it at, at Connecticut. So guys who create turnovers, man, they usually do it throughout their careers because a ball, for whatever reason, finds them. Yeah, they do. And, and it found them last year, which is great. So Micah Parsons, man, we're getting close, dude. It's only like six more weeks until we're really on the cusp of training camp again, which is crazy to think about. It goes by so fast. But as we continue here on this version, let's tell you about, of course, Bruce Biltong. Have you had your brews yet? Have you ordered it? Have you opened up your mouth and enjoyed a little taste of what Biltong is all about? It's like beef jerky, but it's a traditional South African air-dried meat. It's called Biltong. Bruce Biltong is the one to get online at bruisebiltong.com. You use that promo code JAM15, you get 15% off your order, of course. And Jacques and I have been telling you about it for so long. It's one of those things we highly enjoy. I find it extremely tasty. It's a wonderfully filling snack, high in protein, no sugars, no preservatives, no artificial ingredients. That's the type of stuff I like to eat. It's really good. Dude, I think the thing about Biltong is you got to get out of your mind that it's beef jerky. It sounds like beef jerky, but it's not. And the flavor is fantastic. It's flair, very flavorful, man. I like the juiciness, the tenderness. It's everything, the, everything you like about beef jerky, you like about this, but there's more because of its tenderness, its juiciness, it's the way it fills your mouth with flavor. Mm. It's, it's really unlike anything I'd ever taken. And, you know, I, I can be a bit of a cynic from time to time. I mean, I know y'all find that hard to believe. But um, it was really good, man. <laughs> the slice bill talk that's what i rock with it is it's very very tasty get yours now for real order it up bruisebiltong.com b-r-u-s-b-i-l-t-o-n-g.com promo code jam 15 to get that 15 percent off also of course freeway tire shop making it happen been with us since the very beginning and there's a reason why one because jr stands behind his work trust him to do what he says he's going to do and Jacques takes every single one of his cars there all the time. That's like the only place that you'll ever go again is Freeway Tire Shop. Dude, um, the thing about JR and his team is it's about trust, man. Trust, trust, trust. And for me, that's a big deal. And um, I trust him to diagnose a problem with my cars, and I trust him to use quality parts to fix it, man. That's a big deal that most people don't pay a whole lot of attention to. I trust him to charge me a fair price. <laughs> How about that? 
What a novel concept. And then, dude, I trust him to stand behind his work. That's why I take my cars there. It doesn't matter whether I need an inspection, an oil change, a new engine for the Challenger. It doesn't matter. I take him to JR because I can trust him on all those things. And that eases the uh, the concern for me because I ain't going to lie. I don't know much about fixing cars. Yeah, I don't either, man. That's why you got to find someone you can trust. Fortunately for you, we found him. His name's JR. All of his guys, his crew there at Freeway Tire Shop, you can trust them to get the job done for you. Online at FreewayTireShop.com. Go there. You can schedule an appointment. You can request a quote. Make sure you let him know you heard about him on Jam Session. He'll get you taken care of there at Freeway Tire Shop. So you brought up, this is a really interesting conversation, I think, because it, it's, it's about really the progression of life and the way that things change while in some, some ways staying the same. And you've been going through a lot of this while watching your son who had his prom and then had his graduation recently and is, is kind of wrapping up that phase of his life as he goes through that last summer before he goes off to college and finds his place in the world and does whatever it is he's going to do. But it's interesting because you were sending me some pictures with him and some of the guys that he has known, literally, it looks like, since they were born. No, it, it, it's true. And, um, you know, I, I, I tried to craft that in an organic way, if that makes sense, which is, you know, me and Calvin Watkins have been friends forever since he came to Dallas, basically. Um, and it just so happened that we had kids at the same time, like literally. His, his oldest son was born in June, and then my son showed up in uh, December, and then Calvin's second son showed up like the following November. So they've all been like within two years of each other growing up. And me and Calvin love to hang out together, and so if we were going to a Rangers game, we'd take the fellas. Um, if we were going to a Mavericks game once a year, we'd take the fellas. Um, you know, if they were playing and my son wasn't, we'd go out there and watch their game every now and then if we could make it happen. And they do the same for us. And, and in doing so, they all became, they became friends on their own. Mm. And, uh, you know, uh, they spent a lot of nights in my house, uh, because I had a little bigger house and my house was set up for it, for it to be the fun spot. Yeah. So they could play, they could literally go play basketball in the backyard I mean, in the driveway, then go play football in the backyard, then go up to the game room, play video games, eat, take a nap, re- repeat the cycle three or four times before it's time for them to go. Uh, so, man, it was just cool. And then I took pictures of all this stuff. And so he's got about uh, those two and another guy and another kid he met in preschool at three that they just connected on day one. And I've taken pictures of all their relationships. And so it was just kind of wild at the graduation thing they all came through to take those pictures and i put some collages together of like you know probably the youngest picture they were all like three or four and now here they are grown-ass men at 18 with beards and all this wild hair and it just made me think about you know you can meet these people in your life at three four five six man and they can hang around forever yeah it is interesting and you know, I had, it's funny because I, my oldest friends really that I stay in touch with very often, I met when I was in seventh grade. I met when I turned 13 years old and, and we're all still, I mean, three of them are in my fantasy football league and 30 years later, here we are still very, very good friends. You know, in some ways it's, it's almost just like having another brother to, to some extent, yeah. you know, and it's interesting because you, you talk about going through the ups and downs of a lifelong friendship like that. And you know, part of the reason for me why I like it so much is those are guys that I know 
I don't have to watch what I say. I don't have to pretend to be somebody I'm not. I, I, I can literally say anything in front of them, tell them anything that I'm going through. And I right. know that, you know, maybe they don't do that type of thing in their life, whatever the case may be, but they're going to listen. They're going to understand. And, and they, because they know who I am, they know w- what I'm all about. And I've always enjoyed that type of comfort, especially with Nick and Brandon. You know, there's a couple other guys in, in my life as well that I've gotten to know really well. But you just have that comfort of there's no judgment here. There's no, ah, you shouldn't be doing that. Or, or why'd you do this? Or you're an idiot or whatever the case may be. Right. And I, I mean, I was crazy, I think, in high school and college looking back now because a couple of their wives would be like, oh, it's McLaren again. Wow. I don't know. <laughs> and I was like, what are you? And then I go, oh, yeah, I forgot. Like you married her so long ago that I was probably a little nuts when we all first started hanging out. <laughs> no, I think... Um... I think you're right. It's the uh, it's the familiarity and the comfort to be yourself uh, that you miss as you get older and you meet new people. Um, but I just think it's uh, you know I would I would like uh, I would hope that the, they would be friends uh, you know throughout their lives you know till they get my age and beyond. Um, and I think I think it's more possible because they've grown up in a world like Calvin's kids have always lived in Frisco, so it's not like they ever been close. And um, I think in the cell phone world where you can FaceTime and you can text and you can snap, even though like Calvin's oldest son is playing junior college basketball in California. Well, that don't mean we can't communicate on a regular basis. I check in with you, you know, every week or so. Like, yo, what's up, dog? Or as I told, uh, I told him last night, I said, hey, man, uh, you know, AJ is a, that's my son. He's a, uh, he's a, he's a, He's an adventurer, man. So if you ask him or ask him if he wants to come out to L.A. and visit, uh, he's coming. And he started laughing. And my dude was like, (laughs) yeah, I'm coming. And so it wouldn't surprise me at all if at some point over the next, uh, you know, next year, I get this text that says, hey, I'm going to go hang out in L.A. with Miles for, uh, you know, the weekend or three or four days or whatever. Yeah, that'd be pretty awesome. That's fun. Yeah, yeah that, that's that's cool. I think it's interesting because in high school, obviously, you see each other basically every day. I mean, maybe not on the weekends, but when you're in school, you're seeing them every day. I mean, our senior year, our lockers were all right next to each other. A lot of the times you hang out after school. And I've, when I was in high school, of course, we didn't have cell phones or anything. And we'd just be out hanging with each other. And then college comes. And, and that was interesting because looking back, it's interesting. Nick went to Abilene Christian University. Brandon went to Howard Payne University and my freshman year, I went to Collin County. So we all went to different areas and we obviously weren't going to see each other as much anymore. But yet that first year I went, I think I went and visited Nick at least once each semester for, uh, you know, like an extended weekend to hang out with him. I did the same thing with Brandon and our buddy Tim that we all knew. And and we just kind of stayed close. And then I I ended up transferring and going to Howard Payne because I I had so much fun with Brandon and Tim out there. It's like, oh, this will be great. (laughs) <laughs> and then I get there and I hated it. So I ended up transferring to Southwest Texas State where I ended up graduating from. But even it was just, it's really interesting looking back that we all went, we, 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 had, we have different interests in life. You know, Brandon ended up being a phenomenal teacher who he's now like advancing in his career. Nick is in advertising and is in a high, high level like ad exec guy. And I'm a radio guy. We all found right. these different passions and whatnot in life. We go to different colleges, and, and looking back, it's kind of interesting that through that time even, we were able to stay close. In the summers, we would go on vacations and take trips together. 
Yeah. It, it's, it's just the way that it was for whatever reason we had that comfort. And there were times, you know, there was a time with Brandon where, I mean, I, I'll admit this. So, and I don't know if you know this, maybe <laughs> I've told you this before. In high school, Brandon was dating this girl named, well, she, we don't need to say her name, but Brandon was dating a girl. And they dated for like a year and a half, two years. And then they were going to break up. And I asked him, I was like, hey, is it cool if I ask her out? Nah, bro. Well, he goes, yeah, it's, you know, we're not together anymore. It's no big deal. And you got, I mean, Brandon and I are best friends. I mean, best friends. And so I ended up going out with her. And for whatever reason, he ended up getting pissed about it. And I'll never forget this. This is, I think we were seniors in high school. He came over to my house with his fist balled up to fight me. Did he? And I opened the door and he's like, you know, he just looks at me and I mean, it ended up, I was like, dude, we're not going to fight. You're, you would kick my ass and he could, he could kick my ass today. I mean, Brandon was a high school wrestler and I mean, he, he can whip my ass. And I, we just had this conversation and it ended up just being like two brothers, like laying everything out on the table and him telling me that he didn't want me to date her and all this type of stuff. And, and I, by that time I'd been dating her for a long time and I really liked her and all this. And I ended up dating her for two years. Wow. Yeah, and it was wild. And now what's crazy is we get, we get through that and we actually, now we joke about it. I mean, it's it, obviously, it's a subject of, of fun between both of us. And, you know, there's just been times throughout the years where you go through something like that. Like even with Nick, there was a time where we didn't talk very much for a while. And, you know, you, you see each other and it's like no time's gone by at all. Yeah, I think it's... um. I think there's a lot of situations like that. It's, um, you know, I was um, I was trying to reach. You know, it's interesting how it works out because sometimes you just grow apart. Yeah. Uh, because because life changes. And I was, you know, I, my best friend from elementary school, we hung out quite a bit up until I was about, I don't know, bro, for real, probably about thirty. And then I can't even tell you what happened. But there was kind of a gap, and we lost contact for a minute. And now it's to the point where I tried to reach out to him, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I just had one of those moments like, let me see if I can find him, see what he's doing. Uh, and I, I couldn't find I couldn't reach his number or stuff, whatever. But I looked up, man, it's been like 20 years. <laughs> wow. And I was just like, wow. Yeah. And so I was, I was reminded of that because, like, my son – and one of his first cousins, they were literally, in, and he lived in Houston, they were literally inseparable until probably high school. And then, and it's not that they, they aren't cool now, but their, their, their mindset and attitudes and lives change so much that they just don't have a lot in common anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I can like totally my, see that. Like my dude is all obviously is all into sports and girls and traditional guy stuff, whatever that is, watching sports and all of that, hanging out. And his cousin and my son is probably in between introvert and extrovert. Well, his cousin is a full blown introvert, really smart dude. But if he could play Call of Duty all day, he would. And he does sometimes. Yeah. And my son is like, I'll do three or four hours of Call of Duty. But after that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Time to move on. Yeah. Time to move on. Right. And yeah. so they, it's, uh, it's a little sad to me. And it's nobody's fault. It's just people change. Yeah. 
people change. I will say that's another thing that's, that's so interesting about my, my group of friends. And again, you know, my fantasy football league is a, is a big part of that where the bulk of us have known each other because my two brothers are in it. And then Brandon, Tim and Nick, who I've known since I was 13 years old. So seven of us have known each other for 30 years because my brothers, you know, like Nick knows my, my brother, Mark, when he was a baby. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, so that's kind of how weird that is. I mean, Nick would have met Nick and Brandon both. They have known Mark, I think, since he was two years old. So it, it's just kind of one of those things. And now we're all in the fantasy league together. And it's interesting because I do think like political views may change or religious views or just different things. And we, I'll tell you, some of these guys, I think if I met them today, I might be like, eh, cool guy, but I, I don't know. But the fact that we have so much history together and we've known right. each other for so long and we know that, hey, just because you may believe this now or say this or whatever, like at the core of who we are, we're, we're we've got each other's back to some degree. And so right. you, you kind of I will let them say things and do things to me that I would not never let somebody else just, you know, in, in viewpoints and stuff that I would put up with with them that I probably wouldn't want to be around with somebody else. Dude, I mean, but that's what friendship is, right, is about. Yeah. And that's what you're talking about, where you can be exactly who you are. There's no airs you have to put on for anybody. It's all about this is who I am. Uh, you know, you know who I am. You know what I'm all about. Uh, and accept me and keep on going. And, uh, you know, I've got a couple friends like that now. Uh, we say some of the harshest things that <laughs> to each other we've ever said. And uh, when I was going through some stuff a little while ago. Man, my friends, I think they were my friends. <laughs> <laughs> you hope so. Uh, one, of them, uh, one of them called my dad to be like, hey, this is going on. You aware of this? Everything's yeah. good? And I was just like, really? He's like, hey, man, I just wanted to make sure you were good. Yeah. And I was like, I guess I appreciate that in a roundabout way. But, I mean, that's what friendship is all about. And that's, uh, you know, that's a friend of mine I've known for 25, right, 30 yeah. years. But uh, the whole friendship thing, man, it's uh, it's uh, it's really interesting. Um, and you know, like, what kind of deep conversations, if any, did you have with with Nick or Brandon when you were in high school? A lot of deep conversations. I mean, a lot like Nick, Nick, especially because Brandon is so philosophical. I mean, he's got a doctorate now, and he, he, I think his major was originally in humanities or something like that, and. You know, he's a very philosophical person, extremely well read on a lot of different types of things. And Nick likes to get deep as well. And so we, we would have, you know, just about where would we be in life? And I remember in high school on graduation night and stuff like, man, you think we'll still be friends in 10 years? And all of us, well, yeah, of course, we'll still be friends in 10 years. And just it's it's really interesting because those are probably two of the people. And, and Juan is that way now, too, for me, because I've, I've known Juan for like 11, 12 years now. You know, where you have a couple of people in life and obviously my brothers are this way. I can say whatever I need to say to them. Like, hey, this may hurt right. your feelings, but this. Right. And they can say that to me, and it's, it, you just accept that. And, and man, we've had some really, <laughs> especially nowadays and in the last several years where we get together, because you don't get to hang out with your, your friends as much anymore. Right. And, like, when I go to Austin for our fantasy football draft in August, I'll be there for three or four days. You know, everybody will be there, and it'll just be, you know, deep conversations about life. And, and man, I can't believe we're 43 and... What, all the, you just go down the rabbit hole on stuff. No, I think it's. Uh, I I was asking that because a couple of different times, uh, like one of my dude's friends, his dad said, 
hey, I walked by the room the other night. The fellas was having a deep conversation. And so, you know, I find out later it's, you know, my dude was contemplating quitting the football team. This was before the season uh, when he was hurt. And, uh, you know, they were like a couple old men, man, up late into the morning talking about the pros and cons of, of quitting and not quitting. And then and vice versa during basketball season, my dude and him were talking about, you know, I know you can't stand the coach and, and you're not getting a fair shake, but it's not about the coach. It's about you. And if you want to play, you don't want to have any regrets. Don't let somebody run you off. And so, you know, I get these stories, you know, three months after after all it's taking place. But it's good to know that your boys, you can have conversations like that with your boys. Yeah. Um, as you're going, as you're doing, you know, this hardest period of your life when you're least equipped to make decisions. It's true, man. And, and it's I think it's also interesting in, in that regard for them, because like especially with Nick and Brandon, like Brandon has a sister, but neither one of them have a brother. And so, you know, I think I, that we kind of have that brotherhood, especially for, for their viewpoint, you know, and obviously I have my two brothers and, and it's very difficult. I could never have a friend as close as me and Chris because we're the same DNA and we you know, grew up two years apart. So we experienced the same type of childhood and, and going through a variety of different things as, you know, moving at different times and, and just kind of always having each other's back in a real sense before we met any of our other friends in life. So you know, you've got that type of bond, like blood bond with my my brothers, but Nick and Brandon and, and Juan and a couple other guys are, you know, pretty close to that, I think, which is cool. I, I think it's been really cool to see how that friendship has evolved and changed over the course of 30 some odd years. No, I would agree, bro. So the other thing I wanted to give into, and this is, I think you've eaten at Velvet Taco, I would assume. Yes. Maybe? Okay. So Velvet Taco... I was trying to see if I had done it recently. I mean, obviously, I haven't done it recently. But Velvet Taco, no. which, and I, I may be off on this, okay? So don't hold me to this. But Velvet Taco was the first, like, craft taco place that I remember in Dallas. Okay. You know, yeah. like, Fuzzy's was around in <laughs> Fort Worth years ago. And Velvet Taco's been around for forever, too. But that one that was right there, what is that, Henderson? I think it's it's uh, I think yeah, it's Henderson. Oh, yeah. It's either Knox or Henderson right there off seventy five. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the first time I went. I went to that one. Yeah, that was the first one, and that one had been there. Man, I swear that place has been there for at least fifteen years, maybe even more than that. Oh, see, I didn't know it'd been there that long. I swear it's been there that long. I, I could be. I'm, I'm. I'm. Yeah, it has been. It's been there for forever. Well, apparently, Velvet Taco is now about to launch itself nationally. They have expanded out of Texas. They are going to expand to Charlotte, Nashville, Chicago, Atlanta. They're looking at South Florida. And apparently they now have plans to open more than 100 restaurants in the next four years. How do you feel about that, Matt? Man, I, I think it's okay. So it's, it's on Knox Henderson. It says that it first opened in 2011. So it's only been there 11 years. Damn. I would have thought it was there longer than that. Well, whatever. So... <laughs> I don't know. I think it's interesting. I'd love to have one in Birmingham because there's only one like cool taco place here called Taco Mama. And the dude that owns Taco Mama got the idea by going to Dallas, saw all the different types of taco shops that there were and were like, man, there's nothing like this in Birmingham and came and opened it. And that place has exploded here. There's like 20 of them now. Wow. I always now it's just your boy. right? I just always wonder when you go that high. With that many different restaurants, will it still be special 
Will it still have the same? Will it just be the same or will it become corporate? You know what I mean? Will yeah. it still have the, you know, it's like when you talk about breweries, quote, selling out and becoming mass distributors. Are you still the same essence of who you are that made you so popular? We know the money's there. So ain't nobody mad about the money. It's, but will it be the quality the same? Because now, this is just me. Even though they've only got three or four of them in Dallas, man, I'm just less inclined to go if they get if it becomes like a quote chain. Yeah, I'm. I'm probably I got there a double with standard. You. I'm probably there with you, and I don't know. It would be interesting because it is Dallas. It's a Dallas original. And knowing that it's a Dallas original, to me, I, I could go in Dallas and be like, well, I mean, it's a, yeah, maybe it's a chain now, but this is the original. You know, like, okay. this, is, this is from Dallas. Now, that being said, I do wonder in a place, you know, like Nashville gets a lot of things like that because that, that whole city is exploding. And Atlanta is just like Dallas. And I wonder, you know, would you have as much success in a city like that when people go, oh, this is cool, but you're not local. You're actually a Texas-based Dallas restaurant. Yeah, I can see that. Um, now, this is all based off of, I mean, the bottom line is the tacos are really good. And they so are, once yeah. you go there, you may not care whether it's local, national, whatever. You like the tacos are, are great. So, you know, to hell with everything else. Yeah, it could be, man, I guess. And to be fair, like th there is some truth to this. So the guy who is, I guess, their CEO or whatever, his name is Clay Dover. He says that nobody does what we do. Nobody has a chicken and waffle taco. Nobody does a 420 blazing taco with fruity pebbles on it. So I think when you go to cities, if it, like Birmingham would be an example of that. There is not a place in Birmingham that does those types of things with tacos. And so if you were to come here and you were the first that really kind of did those craft creative tacos, then I think you could probably have a lot of success versus... I mean, there's so many taco places in Dallas. I wonder if, if you tried to open up like a, a, a velvet taco in Dallas now and it had never been there before, if anybody would care because there's so many other options. Dude, that's a great question. See, my, my initial reaction would be nah. Yeah. Mean, it's so hard. It's so hard to be a, a taco place in Dallas and, and create your own niche in the market because there's so many taco i mean there's damn near taco place on every corner here. <laughs> there really is i know i mean it, you know whether awesome. it's yeah yeah i mean it is whether it's a hole in the wall or whether it's a little bit of an upgrade from a hole in the wall i mean they're just everywhere they have plans right now there are and i didn't realize there were this many of them there are 33 velvet tacos right now domestically Nine more are on the way opening this year. 15 more will be opening in 2023. The next locations to open in the DFW area are in Grandscape, which is that huge thing up there in the colony. Right. One, one in Grapevine off 114. They're opening one in Deep Ellum, and they're opening one in Rockwall off Ridge Road. And that one's supposed to open in December, which is fantastic. So maybe when I come back for Christmas later this year to visit my parents, maybe I'll go check out the Velvet Taco in Rockwall. <laughs> That sounds like a winner. See, like, I didn't realize they already had 33. I, I never would have guessed that. Never would have so, thought that Velvet Taco had 33 restaurants. No. Nah, so, I mean, hell, the ones I go to have, have still been good. So maybe this is much to do about nothing. Yeah, and apparently, <laughs> I, I, I didn't realize this, apparently there's two of them in Atlanta already. Oh, is that right? Yeah, so they, they are actually, right now, they're in Texas, Georgia, and Illinois. Well, there you go. I see. I had no idea that they had already expanded out of Texas. I hadn't either. What are these guys doing? I'm like, they're everywhere, dude. 
There, there's a couple in Oklahoma. There's two in Georgia, both in Atlanta. It looks like there's three in the North Carolina area. There's two in Tennessee and three in Illinois, in Chicago. Jeez. And there's 11 in DFW. Nine in Houston, two in San Antonio. Huh. Well, they've already got a ton of restaurants. Apparently, damn, dude. I would not. I had no idea there were that many velvet tacos. Dude. Well, good for them. I like tacos. Um, More tacos. What's, what's your favorite velvet taco? I don't know, man. I'm probably partial to the buffalo chicken. That's a really damn good buffalo chicken taco there. But I, got, I also have to say, I don't know that I've ever had velvet taco when I hadn't been drinking and we stopped by the one at Knox Henderson. <laughs> right, right, right. So I'm trying to think. Now I'm partial to their salmon taco. Okay. That's a good one as well. I've, th- I've probably had most of them, it seems like. God, there's a million of these now. I'm just looking at the list of the list of where they are. But the buffalo chicken is probably my go-to. The spicy tikka chicken is pretty good. The chicken and waffle one that we mentioned is really, really good. The Cuban pig is really good. God, man, yeah, they have some really good ones. <laughs> the grilled Hell salmon yeah. is really good, yeah. Mexicali shrimp one is really good. God, now yes, I want to eat tacos. <laughs> that's it. We're going to Taco Mama as soon as I get done with this. Wow, see? Look, that's how decisions get made. I, I love it. No, because I'm hungry, and see, that's the thing, is that the place here, Taco Mama, it literally started with one location, and now they've expanded, and they're going into, like, Florida and Georgia, and they're all over the place, and they're not quite like Velvet, they're not, like, as crafty as that, it's more, like, you can get them in a flour or a corn tortilla, their white queso is insane, but it's, like, their, their menu's just not on that level of that type of creation, if that makes sense. I get you. They're just a step below. They're still really good. They're just a step below. Yeah, yeah. And so you can get stuff. Like, I was trying to think. Like, one of them that I like to get is called the the cheesy, what is it? The, the mayor, I think, is what it's called. They have, like, beef. They do flounder. They do barbacoa. They have marinated chicken. They have, like, steak. But they don't have anything that's, like, a barbecue chicken with fruity pebbles or, like, nothing on that level. <laughs> It's hard to find anything on that level. Bro. Yeah, but the ones they have, man, the ones they have are pretty damn good because I usually get the mayor or the cheesy beef, which is barbacoa, tomato, cilantro, and tomatilla serrano sauce topped with like a white queso. No, that sounds actually pretty good. It's damn good. And one thing they do is they really load the tacos up and you get a taco basket. Yeah. It'll be like eight bucks. And the taco basket comes with two tacos. It comes with chips and your choice of queso or guacamole, and it also comes with salsa. So, and you get a side, and you can choose the sides that you can choose are like elotes, or they have a couple other different things that you can get. So, I mean, you get a lot for eight bucks, which is one of the appeals of Taco Mama. Nah, sound like it. That sounds I mean, good. Hell, yeah. I might drive down to Taco Mama to uh, today. Yeah, well, if you get a chance, they're they're hop in Birmingham. In, hop in the car. Head down 20. Why not? Uh, 10 hours later. <laughs> I don't know if they'll be open tacos. when you get here, but hey, it'll be delicious. <laughs> All right. Now, as we move forward here, we got a couple other things that I wanted to throw out. But before we do that, let's tell you, of course, about HFX Foundation Solutions. It is the summertime. You are getting into it. And of course, as you know, the hot, dry weather in the summer, it causes more movement. 
around this time of the year. That's why if you've noticed any of those little things like the cracks and the sticking doors and things like that, now is the time to get things checked out, get reassurance, if nothing else, get reassurance that nothing bigger is developing. And HFX Foundation Solutions, Aaron and his guys, they can get you taken care of. It's 817-770-0174. Keep in mind, it's a free, no obligation inspection. So as soon as you start noticing any of these things, that's when you need to make the first call. Don't wait. Don't, oh, let's see if it gets worse. Because if you do that, it's going to get worse and cost you a <laughs> crap ton of money. Yeah, you don't want to be waiting, man. And the reason you call Aaron and his team over there at HFX is for the peace of mind, man. You let them come over. This soil in Texas is tricky, man. That's why they have these types of companies. That's why Aaron's in business. It's to help protect you. And so you let them come over, get your house the once over. We like to lovingly call it the colonoscopy for your house. And for me, what it provides is peace of mind. You no longer have to worry about whether you got foundation issues. And if you do, by chance, have something, we all know the deal. It's always easier to catch it early rather than late. That's probably the take, the task uh, when Aaron uh, comes over and checks it out. So give him a call. The call is free. It's exactly right, man. They, it, it's all. He'll come out. They will inspect you, see if you've got anything going on. 817-770-0174. Online at hfxfoundation.com, HFX Foundation Solutions. So those Texas Rangers, it, they're having an interesting season. They're 25 and 27. Jacques and I are recording this on Sunday, so we'll see how the game turns out tonight. But as they head into the game today, Two games under 500, but only one game out of the wild card race. And I have a feeling it's going to be like this most of the year because that second wild card now, it'll keep teams. If you can sniff around 500, you're going to be in the conversation. Um, the question is whether you think they can sniff around 500. You know, whether this is just a nice little stretch or whether they, they will go back to the mean and be what they are. Uh, seems to me like... They're a solid team. Like, I've been watching them. Let me see. Let me rephrase that. I've been watching their box scores a lot more closely in the last couple weeks. And even when they lose, they're losing one-run games. And so basically what I'm saying is they're playing very competitive baseball. Um, they're in every game. It's, you know, a hit here, play there. And uh, it looks a little bit sustainable to me because, again, it's not like their bats are hitting right. Marcus Simeon is still hitting um, yeah. 191. Even Corey Seager is hitting 236. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got 11 homers, I think, but 236, 236, Doug. Yeah, they've been finding ways to get it done. They've been getting, I think, a little bit better pitching than anybody would have anticipated. But what's interesting is on the game, and, and by the time all of you listen to this on Monday or later in the week, this will have already happened, but Steel Walker is making his Major League debut. He was the guy they traded for in the Nomar Mazzara trade. Remember that back in, I think, early of 2019, He's a former second-round pick of the White Sox. He played his high school baseball in Prosper, so he's a local DFW kid. Played his college ball at Oklahoma. He's supposed to make his debut. They are high on him as a future piece of the outfield. And it's also interesting because this week we've really gotten a glimpse, especially of the Joey Gallo trade. Three of the four pieces in the Joey Gallo trade have started this week for the Rangers because Ezekiel Duran got called up from double-A. He was in the lineup yesterday. Josh Smith, of course, has been called up. He got called up a few games ago. I think he's been like four or five games. And then Glenn Otto was the starting pitcher last night. And he's he's been okay for a 26-year-old guy, really getting his first exposure in eight starts this year. But the funny thing about this is you look at this and you look at the pieces they got from the Yankees. 
Duran was the, he was like the epicenter of that trade. He's the number four prospect in the Rangers system behind Jack Leiter, Josh Young, and Evan Carter. So, I mean, this dude is supposed to be a key piece of whatever they're building towards. Right. But you look at this man, Joey Gallo has been absolute trash in New York. I mean, right now, this has been a, a steal of a trade. Gallo's not even getting into the lineup regularly anymore. He's played in 44 games this year. He's only hit five home runs. He's batting 173 and has a 276 on base percentage. All of those numbers are just god awful. Dude, <clears throat> I don't. Uh, it seems to me that that's who he is. Well, at this point, you got to think it is. And then I, I mean, wonder basically. Like, He's only had one good season, and that and that was a stretch. To I mean, I guess it was a good season, but I mean, even his good season, he hit what two twenty or two thirty. Well, the best he ever hit in his career was two fifty three, and that was the year he had twenty two home runs and forty nine RBI, but only played in seventy games. You look at the ones where he had, a, and this is going back to twenty seventeen and eighteen when he hit forty plus home runs. He barely hit two hundred. He had, in 2021, before he got traded, he hit 223 for the Rangers. That He is a career, career 204 let me guess, let me, Oh, sorry. Uh, nah, I was, let me see. I was going to guess probably 210. 204. And how many at-bats? For his career, 2,147 at-bats. That's kind of who you are, Doug. I mean, my God, 204 as a career batting average. Okay, since you got your computer up, Matt, what was Dave Kingman's career batting average? Man, Dave Kingman. God, now you're going way back. What's next, well, Rob Deere? <laughs> well, they were both kind of Joey Gallo, just kind of like all or nothing. What do you think? Hitters. What do you think Kingman was? <laughs> maybe he wasn't as bad as I thought, so maybe his career batting average was like 236. You looked that up. No, I swear I didn't. It's 236. Are you serious? I swear to God, dude. Dead on the number. <laughs> Dave Kingman, 236 career batting average. Okay, check this out, bro. My God. I was going to say 219, and I said, well, he's probably not as bad as I thought. So I just said, I don't know, literally 236 just popped in my head. That seems like a very random number to just pop in my head, but that's what it did. Man, that's, I mean, I don't even know what to say. At first, dude. I was, all right, now guess Rob Deere. Because Rob Deere, many people remember, was a dude who could club, you know. He right. hit 28, 30 home runs for like a six-year stretch, and, and he was kind of like that Joey Gallo, at least when he was in Milwaukee back in the late 80s. I'm going to say 214. You're close, man. He was a 220 career hitter. 220 was in my thought process, but I thought, obviously, that was just a little bit too high. Man. Like, now I'm really curious. I'm going to have to go. <laughs> no, because this is really wild, man. The fact that Joey Gallo is that far behind guys like Kingman and Rob Deere is, right. is extremely the, telling. Can we say something? The reality is he's not a good hitter. He is not. That would be correct. The, the reality is he occasionally gets lucky. When he gets lucky, he hits the ball 500 feet, and that's, that's fine. Um, he's a really good outfielder. He's a really good athlete. Um, but he's not a good hitter, and you know who he's sounding like right now, bro. He sounds like Chris Jones. Chris That's Davis? Him? No, I mean Chris Davis. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you might be right, man. Like, I'm going to have to do some research on this and figure out. I was trying to do it real quick because okay, I'm really like, curious to see who has had more than 2,000 at-bats in their career and is hitting worse. Bro, look at Chris Davis. 
All right, let's look at Chris Davis because he's you're, he's probably very similar, I would imagine. Yeah, because Chris Davis did. Let's see, Chris Davis finished his career. He had almost five thousand at bats. Yeah, oh, what do you think it is? The difference. Hold up, the difference is Chris Davis managed to get paid. That's true. I don't think Joey Gallo's getting paid anywhere like Chris Davis got paid. Uh, Chris Davis, I bet his career batting average is like two oh eight. See. You're way off. What is his is well, not way off, but his is much higher. It's two thirty three for his career. Oh my gosh! See, but, I would have never guessed two thirty. Well, see, here's the thing: is that he didn't start sucking until after he got paid, because he actually right. had like when he was a rookie in Texas, two eighty five, had another season, two seventy six, two seventy, two eighty six, two sixty two. Gallo hasn't even sniffed those types of numbers. Gallo would be a Hall of Famer if he sniffed those. I mean, numbers. my God, Joey Gallo, a two oh four career batting average. That's Dude. horrible. And, like, he hadn't reached free agency yet. So, like, you know, somebody will sign him, obviously. But, like, what are you trying to pay Joey Gallo? I mean, I don't even – that's – I don't know. that That's – Because I'm not paying you for your glove, and your glove is good. But, you know, your bat is just awful. We can't even use you because you strike out. I mean, you don't put the ball in play. I mean, you literally – we can't do anything with you. Yeah, that is – that is bad, bad, man. <laughs> I mean, that is, so, that is, whew. I mean, in hindsight, the Rangers made a great move not to get seduced by the fact that he's a hometown guy and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, and move him and get some prospects because you didn't want to get in a situation where you had to pay a guy who can't hit. Yeah, that's true, man. I mean, that is, um, that's interesting. <laughs> I, I would not have thought 204. And that's what's crazy is because if he plays another couple of years, there's a very good chance that he's going to drop that below 200. His problem, real talk, man, will be getting enough at bats because, you know, people, he is now what, I mean, you just are what you are. And so, <clears throat> dude, I don't even know. I mean, I guess the, the threat of the homer is always there. And he's still a young guy, isn't he? What is he, 27? Yeah, he's not super old. I mean, he's been in the league for a while, but I, I think he's 30. Let's see. He Well, no, he's he, 28. He turns 30, was, He turns 29 this November. All right. That's what it was. Because okay. I remember I don't so, want to I didn't want to sign him because he was going to be 30 in a couple of years. And I was like, screw right. that. Now check that out. Take that to the next step. Whenever he's up, who's going to sign a 30-year-old dude that can't hit to any kind of long-term deal or any kind of real money deal? Because all your bet speed is going to do is slow down, brother. Yeah, man. You're going to get worse. You're not going to get better as you hit your 30s. So, yeah, you wouldn't and, think so. And, you know. Not that it matters, but I would like to say he's a really good dude. <laughs> you know? So yeah. I hate to rip his game like that because he's a good dude. But being a good dude ain't got nothing to do with playing baseball, man. No, it does not. And and that's where, I mean, that is to have that many at-bats and that's where you're sitting in your career is is very interesting. <laughs> I mean, that is really, really, really bad, man. Like, really bad. Basically, you suck and we didn't know it. Yeah, which is crazy because for a couple of years, everybody's like, you know, he does play. He has gold glove. He, he obviously has a little bit of that. I'm trying to see here. Oh, like my a, God. All right. How about this? I just figured I just found it. Uh Oh, so this is based on career at bats with a minimum twenty one hundred career at bats. OK, all time since 1871. Oh. Fuck. How many players do you think have a lower batting average than Joey Gallo? 
And his is 204, right? His is 204. Dude, I'm going to say three. You're not far off. Five players in Major League history have a lower batting average than 204 with that many at-bats. Is Mario Mendoza one of them? He is not one of them, no. Mendoza's not even in the top 20. I don't see him in the top 30. Jeez. Okay, who are they? The worst, and this is literally this dude played in the early 1900s, is Bill Bergen, who batted a career 170, and he he had over 3,000 at-bats. <laughs> My God. Jeff Mathis, who is was at least still in the league a couple of years ago, he had 2,700 at-bats and batted 194. Mike hmm. Zunino, who played from, is still in the league, he is a career 200 hitter with 2,600 at-bats. And then Pud Galvin, who played in the late 1800s, was a career 201. <laughs> and Bobby Matthews, who played in the late 1800s, career 203. Only five Bro. players ever worse than Joey Gallo at batting average. Okay, now, we're, and we're, we're just keeping it real, man. So, if we talk modern baseball, it's like two guys. He's like the second worst. Yeah, if we're just going live ball era, then you throw out everything that, that that's that early, and it would be three guys that would be – no, two guys. Yeah, you're right, two. Because only two that have played since 1911. So in the last 111 years, only two players have a worse batting average with that many play to, or that many at-bats than Joey Gallo. That's unbelievable. Bro. That's incredible. You, there's no way you can give a dude like that that kind of money. I mean, basically, I mean, he gets like a minimum contract. <laughs> I mean, what's he doing for you? Especially if he's not going to hit home runs and get walks, which this year he's not doing anything. No, nah, he's probably that's you incredible. Know, he's, he's probably so out of whack he can't find himself in New York. You know, I would imagine maybe some team will sign him because they'll go, okay, he just got he, he clearly he's struggling. Clearly, yeah. he kind of is what he is, but he's in New York, and um, perhaps. Uh, when he gets out of New York and the, and the media glare spotlight is not so harsh, he will, um, you know, he will at least hit, you know, 220. And then we can take advantage of some of the other stuff he can do. Yeah, we'll see, man. I mean, but how crazy is it going to be if he does get out of New York and he just comes back to Texas? <laughs> and the Rangers like, look, we'll give you this. And he's like, oh, I guess I'll take it. I, I had some good years there. I guess, bro, but do you even want that, man? No, at this point, I don't think you need him. He obviously is not a part of the future. So, but my God, I, I, I mean, when you see the number 204, that is so stunning. I was so curious. I, I just can't believe. I mean, literally one of the, the five worst hitters in the history of Major League Baseball at putting the ball outside of home runs is Joey Gallo. That's incredible. Now have we, I'm just asking the question. Have we figured out why he's so bad? Is it the uppercut and swing? I don't know. I, I don't know what it is. It, it must be. It must be just because he tries to hit a home run on everything, I guess. I guess, bro. That is wow. incredible, man. Now, to be fair, of all those players that I just named, he has the most home runs. Okay. Easily. So Broke that, clock worked twice a day, fellas. Okay. I'm just saying he has the most home runs, and, and so there's that. And his career on base percentage is much higher than everybody else's. So at least there's a little bit of that. He gets He, he walks. All right. So that that's fun. At least he has that. <laughs> so the other thing that I wanted to throw out, and I just thought this was nuts. I don't watch tennis. I haven't paid attention to tennis in years, but I know who wins the majors. And Rafael Nadal won the French Open today. 
This is insane because Rafi Nadal now has 22 majors, 22 grand slams in tennis, two more than Djokovic or Roger Federer because he also won the Australian Open earlier this year. He has won 14 French Opens and is 112-3 and all-time at Roland Garros. Is that insane or what? That's insane. <laughs> That is that that for one person to dominate one event for that long and be that level of domination, I don't know that you ever see that again. Um, in tennis, I think you can, because you know tennis, tennis, and you tell me what you think. You know, you can get these great players in tennis like Nadal, who end up specializing in just one surface, uh, whether it's you know doing a thing at Wimbledon because they got a certain volley game. Or doing that thing in 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 the French where they can stand on the baseline and hit ground strokes to make it go crazy, um, you can find it. So I mean, I don't think it, I think it's going to be rare, but we've had some other specialists, man, and so I I can see it. Yeah, I mean it it's it's just absolutely wild to think that. And, and you look at this, so because I got curious about this, keep this in mind. Before the big three, before Nadal, Djokovic, and Federer came along, Pete Sampras held the record for most Grand Slams by a man. He had 14 total. Roger Dang. Federer just won his 14th French Open. And you, and you look at this, so the most Australian Opens ever is nine by Djokovic. The most Wimbledons ever is eight by Federer. And the most U.S. Opens ever is seven by three different tennis players. The most recent was a dude from back in the 1920s. So you take all that, nine open, nine Australians, eight Wimbledon, seven U.S. Opens, and Federer or, or Nadal sitting there with 14 French Opens. Damn, okay, maybe you're right. <laughs> He's won five out of six. The one that he didn't win in the last six years, Djokovic got him in the semifinals in a match that went four hours. Jeez. I mean, isn't that nuts? That's just in, for one guy to be that dominant and that good at one venue. And, and granted, look, I mean, when you win 22, he's, it's not like he hasn't won anything else. He's won two Australians, two Wimbledons, and four U.S. Opens. But 14 French Opens. I mean, nobody has ever played on clay the way that Rafael Nadal can play on clay. Why do you figure that is? I don't know. I've always thought that was interesting. Like, you would think, okay, it's clay. Like, somebody else, obviously. I mean, Djokovic beat him the one time. But how is he so freaking dominant on clay all the time? Uh, you know, I would bet a lot of, I mean, you know, I've said this many, many times. I would bet a ton of it is just his, he's won so much that he, he, he enters every match with a supreme belief that he can win. And his opponent, most of the time, enters the match knowing they're going to lose. <laughs> yeah, I guess and, so, and, man. And so when the match starts off the way, you know, Nadal starts it off, you just go, oh, okay, I figured I would lose, and, you know, I am, because he's Nadal. Like, you don't go in there thinking, yeah, I got a shot to get this thing done. You go, well, if he plays his best, I'm going to lose. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a mental thing. So much of sports, man, as, as I've said to y'all for years, is it's all so mental, man. Even at the highest levels, it's all mental. And the belief that people either have that they're going to win or lose, or that they can come back, or they can't come back. It's just, uh, it's amazing, really. Yeah, and it's pretty wild. So Nadal has, again, 14 out of the last, whatever it is, I think. He's, so he won his first one in 2005. Since then, in 2009, Federer won the French Open, and Nadal lost, in, after he had won four consecutives, he lost in the fourth round, which is his worst finish ever. 
Nadal then went out and won the next five. In 2015, he lost to Novak Djokovic in the semifinals. In 2016, Djokovic won the French Open, and Nadal had to pull out because of a wrist injury, so he didn't even get to finish it. He then won the next four, lost to Djokovic in 21 in the semifinals, and then won again this year. <laughs> Jeez. Hard to keep a good man down. I guess so, man. And, and again, tennis, I don't know. It's just, I'm not into it anymore. I used to watch it more when I was younger, but when I see something like that, I just get fascinated by how dominant and how incredible that dude is. Nah, man, it's the beauty. You know, I told you, I enjoy watching greatness uh, in virtually any sporting event. Yeah. If you give me greatness, I'll take it, you know, basically every single solitary time. And so um, I love I, I love it, man. Me too. Very interesting, man. Rafa Nadal, a dominant 22nd Grand Slam win. And that, my friends, is this version of Jam Session. Hope you all enjoyed it. Have a great week. We will talk to you coming up on Wednesday with the next new episode. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.